0: You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. What are the most important election issues for you? If you have any interest in education, chances are you wanted to see better access for children to early childhood centres before they get to school. You want to see highly qualified childcare workers get paid their worth without crippling your own back pocket. Last week, Labor announced their childcare promise, and it looked encouraging. But where do the other political parties sit when it comes to the early learning sector? Samantha Page is the CEO of Early Childhood Australia, and she joins us on the phone. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm
1: very well, thank you.
0: What's most encouraging about Labor's promises for early learning?
1: I think two parts to it. One is the additional investment in the childcare subsidy itself, which will increase the um, number of families that would have access to fully subsidised early childhood education and care. Uh, And the second piece is the investment in early childhood uh, worker wages. So that's for educators' Across the board, whether they have a certificate three or a diploma or a teaching qualification, Um, Labor have committed to uh, increasing wages by around twenty percent over an eight-year implementation, you know, phase-in period. So, um, the investment in the in the subsidy um, for families is 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 the much bigger announcement. more investment um, there and very welcome, uh, but also the investment in wages is important because, of course, we, we we need to be able to assure families that their children will get a quality education experience in early childhood services, and that's hard to guarantee when we have such high turnover at the moment.
0: Of course, this is the sticking point for the coalition who have been arguing that the the funding for that 20% wage increase is too much, that it's going to hit taxpayers hard. When we talk about what we pay our early learning educators, are Labor the only party that are saying they'll raise their wages?
1: Um, the Australian Greens have also said that they are committed to a national workforce strategy and they would like um, that to result in professional wages for early childhood educators. So they, they haven't gone as far as... Putting a, a costed um, specific mechanism for how they would achieve that, but they certainly have said um, they have costed their overall. Pa- they have committed more funding to their overall package, and as they have said part of that is delivering professional wages for early childhood educators. Um, the, the coalition um, government of the day have suggested that really. It should be a a Fair Work Commission process that delivers any increased wages to early childhood educators and that they're concerned about government intervention in that process. The difficulty is there has been a gender pay case run in the Fair Work Commission for early childhood educators but winning that case relies on having a male-dominated comparison that you can use to say this work is equivalent and similar but because... At one sector is dominated by female workers; it has been historically undervalued or underpaid. We don't, we can't. The, the case fails because they couldn't find um, an appropriate male comparator, and and that's kind of not surprising in the area of children's services.
0: Fundamentally, this seems to be an argument about how we view the early learning sector itself. Do you think that there's a consensus that it's not just a babysitting service? Have most politicians now come to the place of understanding it's about education, it's about quality um, teachers, it's not just about minding children so parents can go back to work? Or is this what the coalition is missing when it's saying, oh no, we can't inject this additional fees into wages, we we have to go to the Fair Work Commission? I mean. It, are politicians understanding this space properly, do you think?
1: I think I think we've come a long way. if i I can say that in the last say five years, I think there has been increasing acceptance that early childhood education is a professional undertaking a professional role. There have been questions raised about the National Quality Framework which requires educators to have a qualification and in fact requires teachers to be employed within early childhood settings and there there was a questioning of the evidence of that which was part of the terms of reference for the Productivity Commission inquiry a few years ago. There have been Senate inquiries looking at that as well but I think the majority of elected parliamentarians now accept the evidence that qualifications are appropriate, that this is a profession. And I think most people would sensibly say, if we as a society are going to invest over $8 billion a year in in early education, we want to make sure that we're getting good value for that money and we want to make sure those services are of a good quality and that children are um, having a positive experience. Uh, In order to do that, the, the educators and teachers need to be qualified. They also need to have stable employment um, in order to provide good programs to children and for children to feel secure in their relationships um, in those services. So I think the logic is there. I think the, the arguments, the ideological differences we're seeing across, particularly um, the coalition and the ALP, are around. Um, how you deliver professional wage increases, you know, and and the co- what the coalition are saying is, well, if there's an argument to be made, then it should be made in the fit before the Fair Work Commission, and there should be an independent umpire deciding that. It shouldn't be a, a decision of the government of the day. Whereas the Labor Party is saying that Fair Work Commission process isn't working, it's not addressing the gender pay gap, it has failed early childhood educators, and we can't wait for several years in order to fix that process and then rely on that to deliver an outcome because in the meantime we're losing 37% of our educators every year from early childhood education and that's undermining the quality of service provision that's undermining the public investment in early education. We've got to fix it quicker than that. Thirty seven
0: percent is a massive amount.
1: It's huge. It's nearly half. I mean it's, it's it's extraordinary. And it it's a two there are two major problems and one is that early childhood education services employ teachers, but the teachers they employ um, can take their um, early childhood degree, their early childhood teaching degree and go and work in the primary school this system for around $13,000 more a year, who wouldn't do that? Mm -hmm. We can't ask teachers not to do that. Um, They've got to put their own economic security and family um, first. And so we have this constant churn of people coming in with teaching degrees and moving on into the school system. Um, And amongst educators with a certificate and diploma level qualification, often they can earn more working in retail or hospitality with None of the responsibility and the stress um, involved uh, in being you know, responsible
0: for little people. So it's incredible, isn't
1: it? Yeah. So there, so it's really hard to stabilise the workforce, and we can we can keep pouring money into training um, and qualifying people, but it's it's that's hardly sensible if you're just going to lose them out the back door two years down the track. So stabilising the workforce is critical to securing um, quality for children.
0: Now, I'm not sure this is much a very sexy election issue, but there's been lots of research into the impact quality early learning can have on closing the gap between um, even Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, those who haven't started out life on the same foot as others. Is the funding going to the right place to help close that gap? Are we investing enough in quality early learning in the places that need it most? As I say, I don't see it's a, an election issue for the parties because I don't know how many people are going to vote for that. Um, but are, but is this something that we're overlooking in the whole process?
1: Oh, yes, I think we have to accept that it is. I is. Mean, we've just had the early um, education development census tell us that we really haven't addressed disadvantage for um, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. Um, we haven't moved that um, vulnerability gap at all in the in the three years um, between the two two last census rounds. Um, and we had Geraldine Atkinson from Snake um, and the Victorian um, Early Educators Association. At an event last night, um, emphatic that we are simply not doing enough um, to close the gap, and um, and they have some very clear advice to government about what needs to be done. You're right in that this, this is not a popular um, issue to have to, to take set a stage in an election um, because it affects you know a small population, but it's it's important leadership is needed. Um, to, a, to, to really once and for all commit to reducing Indigenous disadvantage. Uh, now some Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander are thri- children are thriving and we've got to tell the positive story as well. We've just done a, a piece of a joint research project with SNAKE and looked at this and there are some children that are doing really well and more Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander children are completing school, finishing their higher certificate, going on to tertiary study, completing vocational study. we, we do, They're much more, um, like Stan Grant t- it was says, we must tell the story that Indigenous um, young people are much more likely to finish a degree at university than they are to go to jail. And it's really important that we tell that story. You know, it's not all dire. However, having said that, um Indigenous children are twice as likely to be vulnerable developmentally when they start school um, than non-Indigenous children. And that's just not fair. You know, that's really hard to overcome. Once you start school behind everyone else, it's very hard to catch up. Um, So the best investment we could make would be to give um, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander children priority and make sure that they get at least two years of quality preschool programs. Um,
0: and it's not just Indigenous kids, is it? It's, it's all children who uh, whose parents are having problems meeting the activity test, who's, who might not have um, the affluence to be able to afford daycare. I mean, they're, yep. they're vulnerable too, aren't they?
1: That's right, yes. No, it's absolutely not just Indigenous kids. Um, But there are some particular approaches to working with Indigenous communities that we know work, like working with Aboriginal organisations that are run by Aboriginal communities. Um, We know that Aboriginal children are going to feel um, safe there. Uh, Families are more likely to use those services. We should be investing more in those services. Um, But you're right, in terms of addressing disadvantage across the board, we can work place by place in disadvantaged communities. There are some fantastic examples of service models that integrate health and community services and um, early intervention and early childhood education and sort of have multi-purpose hubs where families can go and get a whole suite of um, services provided to them, and they're great, um, particularly in areas that are you know new populations or, or, or um, where there is a concentration of people who might be experiencing um, life challenges, uh, but. Not all disadvantaged children are in disadvantaged communities. So actually what we need is a universal platform that says no matter where you are, no matter where you live in Australia, you can access quality early childhood education and that should not depend on whatever activity your parents are involved in. Um, or what your household income might be. It should be the right of the child to have access to that. Um, we would say at least two days a week um, children should have the right of access. It? That's not happening at the moment, no.
0: With either party, either of the major parties.
1: Well, the coalition would say that the childcare subsidy um, does provide 12 hours uh, a week for children whose families are under the 69000 a year household income um, point, which includes a lot of families, of course, receiving um, social, social income payments. Um, however, I don't think families really understand that. I think a a lot of families are missing out. We've seen a um, drop-off in the number of children who would be identified as experiencing vulnerability. We've seen a reduction in those children um, coming to early childhood education services since the introduction of the new childcare subsidy. I think it's just too confusing. Um, I think that the ALP's announcement of increasing... The threshold and increasing the number of hours um, is a very positive move in the right direction, but it still doesn't get us to a universal platform where every child has a right, and that's what we like to get to.
0: Is there anything else that both major parties are missing when it comes to improving early learning in Australia? I think we need to make the system really simple. I think we've got these
1: very complicated... Mechanisms. I mean, how the, the childcare benefit, childcare rebate system that we had before this current childcare subsidy was ridiculously complicated, but we've replaced it with a system that's almost as complicated, <laughs> um, which beggars belief, really, that we managed to do that. I mean, the bones of the childcare subsidy system are better than what we've had in the past, but I think if we could sit down and do a, a rethink on how it works, I would be suggesting that the subsidy should be adjusted to reflect the cost of delivering services by children's age. We should be much more responsive to the needs of families, so we should be making sure that families who are returning to work for the first time after having a baby have access to the service that they need and the problem is at the moment of course we've had an undersupply in baby places in services because babies are a lot more expensive to support and the childcare subsidy system is too blunt. It just has one rate for all children in a centre based um, setting for example or all children in a family daycare setting and of course the ratios are much higher educated to child for babies than they are for the older children so services can only We afford to support a certain number of baby places and that creates a supply issue. So I might be making this all sound a bit too complicated, but very simply, if we said all children should get at least two days a week of quality early learning program if their families choose to use it, we should amend the subsidy system to reflect the age of the child so that places are available when families need it, where they need it, rather than having this sort of very blunt system at the moment which creates oversupply in some age groups and undersupply in others. Then we can say to families that if you're working or studying, you can have more hours than the the universal basis. So if we said, for example, that all children could have at least two days a week, if then families uh, meet an activity test, they they might be eligible for three, four or five days a week of subsidised access. Or if we identify the child is at educational disadvantage or at risk of educational disadvantage, we can say, let's give that child three or four days a week because that's going to pay off long term if we help that child to catch up before they start school rather than try and find extra resources for them in the school system. So I think if we put children at the centre of the system and rewrite the basic premise of why we're providing subsidy for early childhood education, we'd get a better outcome.
0: All right, well, that's your Sorry, task that's very long. The... <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> what you're basically saying is start from universal access for two days and work on from there. And I think that makes perfect sense. So um, when you start campaigning to be elected to the federal (laughs) parliament, Sam, we'll vote for you. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for speaking with us today. You're
1: very welcome. Thanks.
0: That's Samantha Page. She's the CEO of Early Childhood Australia. There's a lot of talk about resilience, but grit, that's something else.
1: Grit's a mindset. I think grit is is a headspace. And I think it's founded in doing something, understanding what worked, what didn't work. And then regardless of the outcome, I continue to keep pursuing forward.
0: That's Nate Cook, life coach and founder of Gritbox, explaining what grit is. In the next episode of Feed, Play, Love, Nate explains how you can help your child develop this important skill. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper and hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt.